All right. Well, good to have you this morning again. Uh, great to, to see everybody here this morning. It's always just a pleasure and a, and a blessing to, to just get to worship together corporately. It's, it's, the, it's the highest function of the church is to meet together to give glory to a God who's so worthy to receive it. Um, a little uh, something before we get started. Um, I, I do want to make you aware of something. Last, last week when we did our uh, eat up, catch up, pray up thing, kind of our little family meeting that we did, we did roll out our bylaws or a, an update to our bylaws. Um, and, and what that looks like is that it isn't uh, in this uh, set in stone kind of bylaws, but this isn't a, a draft. It's, a, it's updating our bylaws to kind of uh, be more uh, functional and, and also to something that kind of will outlast the leadership of the church here. And so, uh, honestly, you need to take a look at that. You need to check it out. Um, as a matter of fact, as, as, uh, if, you, if you call the, the Rock Church your home, you really have a responsibility to understand what the leadership is doing, to, to check it out and to go and, and, and see what's going on. And so, well, we could certainly get you a hard copy, or we can certainly email you a copy, um, and we would love to do that. But we want to we want to get that into your hands, and we'll be continuing to announce this the next couple of weeks or so. But but really, you need to get your hands on that. You need to check those bylaws out. If you have suggestions about those things, we're certainly open to those things. Again, this is now open to a period of time where where you would look these things over and and, and see what you think and and see how things uh, strike you. I'm going to just tell you that we have added um, uh, things within our statement of faith that, that deal with marriage, um, sexuality, and gender, because those are pressing things in the culture around us today. So we have made statements on those things. And so you'll need to just check those things out and then um, look them over and then get back with us. And if you have, again, some feedback or whatever, we are certainly open to that as we move forward. So we are in John 17. Continuing in John 17 again this week, and remember that, that, that some of the other churches here locally are doing exactly the same thing this morning. So it's a pretty cool thing to just always keep in mind and remember that we are the rock church that meets here. We're the fellowship that meets within the greater body of Christ in Sheridan, which is meeting within the greater body of Christ, which is in the state of Wyoming, and, and the greater body in the nation, and then the greater body globally basically. And so it, it's a really cool thing because uh, we, we, in PYC, we just talked about, about doing this together um, after Easter. And so, um, again, not all churches, but a good number that, that um, are represented at PYC are going through this same thing uh, this morning with us. So I'm just going to read the whole prayer again. Remember, this is Jesus's prayer. Um, it's a really cool thing. Um, and, and so let's, let, let's look at this, John chapter 17. If you want to get your Bible out, turn your Bible on, grab a Bible from the, pew, from the chair in front of you, whatever you do, uh, join me as we look this over. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me 
in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And I have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I did not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So this morning we're, we're, we're talking, we're, we're calling this morning's message just the, the concept and the idea of together. That this idea of unity and, and this idea of being with God is, is really God's heart. This is his desire and this so comes out in this prayer this prayer is a really cool, unique insight into Jesus. It's, it's kind of one of the only places in Scripture where we really get to look at and, and kind of look at and see a prayer that, that Jesus offered up. And the cool thing is, is he offered it for you individually. The prayer actually spans all of time. It goes into the past. In verse 5 and in verse 24, Jesus talks about the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And in, in 25, he talks about the love that he had with the Father prior to the foundation of the world. See, we have to remember that, that within this picture of unity and this picture of, 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 of the Godhead, of the Trinity, it, it's this idea that, that it's diversity brought into perfect unity. That, that if God is love, then prior to the creation, what was the object of his love? Because love must have an object. And the answer to that is that, is that, is that God had a love relationship within, him very, within his very self, within his very being that there was always a relationship of love and glory and honor deferring to one another throughout of all 
for all of eternity. It's never not been. This is how then God, as an expression of who he is, gives us love and why the Bible tells us that we love because he first loved us. We love and get the concept of love because it at first exists in the very nature and the character of who God is. Jesus then, as Pastor Mike was going last week, he was, he was praying into the present. He prayed into the past, but he was praying into the present as he was praying for the disciples. And, and, and even though he was praying presently for them, those things and those concepts, they apply to us as well as we kind of look those things through. But then a little bit later on, he goes on and he talks not just about to them, but to those who would come, who would, who would come to believe because of their word which brings it into us and, and where we're at. And not just us, but it also brings it into the future of who will come in, in the days to come and what that would look like. So Jesus prays this prayer and it spans all of time and it actually unifies actually all of time in him together. So there are six main big themes, I think, in this prayer. They're this, they're, they're his name, the concept of, of who God is, his name. The, within the name is, is the concept and the idea of identity and, 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 and who he is. So, so his name is this important theme that we see. Joy is, the, is a theme that we see, and Ben talked about that this morning, the idea of the joy of the Lord and, and what that looks like. Uh, being one or unity or oneness is a big theme. The word is a big theme, the idea that God has given us his word and that truth is what that word is. So truth then becomes this big concept, which truth today in our culture is something that's under attack, right? We're, we're living in a culture and a time where we've been exposed and are really reaping the benefits of postmodernism, the idea that anything is true, that there really isn't truth. So, so truth is just whatever, it's completely subjective to whatever you would have it to be. So truth is something that, that grounds us as believers, and truth is, is something that God has given us. And then the idea or the concept of glory. Now, glory is kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? It's this idea of like, how do you explain like God's glory? What is God's glory? And what is glory? And what is God? Is he like some kind of a glory monger or something? Why is God always after glory? But you see, glory is just something that emanates out of God. I'll do my best to, to kind of um, define it, I would say this, that, that glory is the, manif the, is, the, it is the manifestation of the grandeur and the power and the beauty of the Lord. It, it, it's the thing that just comes out of, of who he is. I, I think maybe sometimes the word glorious might be a little bit easier to understand because we start thinking about things and we would name things to be glorious, so we, we see some things about God's glory. We're going to start here in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 3. And, and this is when, when, the, when the prophet Isaiah, uh, even though he'd been a prophet for I don't know how long, but it was six chapters before he saw this and was really moved and changed by God, um, it says this, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God's creation, it tells us, 
is, is, a, is a manifestation. It's, it, it, it's part of his glory. It, it, it's part of who he is. As a matter of fact, God's creation and his creative order is his first revelation to us of that there is a God. That when we look out into the world around us, when we look into the the, the, the surroundings around us, and we're in awe of some of the beauty and the majesty and the, the grandeur and the, and the awesomeness of, of, of our creation, we're meant, that's meant to guide us to God. That means that's meant to give glory to God, not to just random processes over a zillion years, but we start to recognize that the reality of this creation is that it's, it's designed there's so much design within this thing that it really can't be any, anything else that you would never just take randomness or, or chaos and bring forth the order that we see in the world around us. So glory becomes kind of this thing, I think, sometimes that when we see it, we start to recognize it. And we start to just be a little bit in awe of what God has done, that, that God has created all of this beauty around him. And there's beauty in this world. What I think is really interesting is that there's beauty in this world that nobody hardly ever sees. See, see God didn't put all of the beauty of, of who he is just on display in all the places where everybody was going to make sure that they could drive and see it. There is incredible beauty deep in the mountains and deep into places where, where hardly anybody else ever sees it. The reason that it's there is because God just can't create any other way. He creates in just this amazing beauty. And again, it's, we see just the diversity of the beauty that we, we begin to see around us. And when we see some of the imagery of it, we're just kind of drawn to it and we're, we're drawn to, to, to the splendor of, of who God is. You see, the whole earth is filled with his glory. There's even a little bit of local glory right there at the top of the cloud peak right there, right? And then, and then Blacktooth and Anominant and Hallelujah Peak and stuff over there off to the left as well, some of the, 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 the iconic peaks there of the Bighorns. So let's look here and let's go into verse 13. We'll pick it up from there. Pastor Mike took it through 12 last week. It says that now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So what is joy? I'm going to hold that joy is something that is, it has more uh, grit to it than happiness. It, joy is this thing that we can have despite our circumstances. Even when things are tough, when the world is difficult, when, when, when things are coming at you that you didn't ask for and that you don't understand you can still have joy. Why? Because we have a hope that's somewhere else. You see, if your hope is set in the world and the systems of the world around you, ultimately, that will let you down. We all know that we're leaving here. We all know that there are these equalizers in life and that there's a reality that there's suffering and there's tragedy and there's hard times in the world around us. You see, if our hope is here and all of our peace is set in the world around us, eventually we'll lose that peace, right? The, the world, we're going to talk about the world and how it sees those things. But you see, when we have an eternal perspective, when we understand that our hope is in heaven and that it can't be touched, if you understand that your life is held in God's righteous right hand and nobody can remove it, then there's a peace and there's a joy and there's even a contentment that can come that God is actually trying to pull us out of these different things. But he wants to give us joy. He wants us to have a way to be okay 
even when it's not okay. Because why? Because I'm going to hold that this is one of the ways at times that we put on display the glory of God. Because I'm going to hold, we're going to talk about this. You see, you were created to display the glory of God in the world around you. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know, honestly, the world doesn't want to really hear what God has to say on a lot of levels. Worse than that, sometimes we don't want to hear what God has to say on a lot of levels, right? Even here, right? God's not, he's plain about many of the things that he has said, but certainly the world or the systems of the world are set in opposition to the things of God. And so we can't expect to just really get along with the world. And we're going to talk about unity in a little bit, but you see, our unity really comes, the, the unity that comes in here and the unity that we can have with the other churches in town is because of the cross. You see, you have to have a common place to have unity. And when there isn't a common place, then honestly, now that doesn't mean that we become jerks to the world or anything like that. That's not the call on us. We, we, this is clear, right? We're supposed to recognize that the world is just lost and that lost people do lost things. But don't expect to really be in agreement or to live our lives in a way that the world is just in agreement with who we are and what's going on. But you see, his word is what sustains us in this world. It's his truth that is a guidepost. It's a, it's a lamp. It's a, it's a way to get through this world. And, and, and God begins to teach us what our true identity is and what life is really about. Verse 15 says this, it says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus isn't praying that we would be taken out of this world. No, he has a plan and a purpose for why you and I are still here. The reason that you didn't get saved and just shot off, teleported off to heaven is because God, again, wants to display the glory that He wants you to give glory through your life to him. He wants you to point him or others to him. He wants you in your life to make him famous, basically. That's really what the glory of God, it's about making God famous. And you see, he's the only one ultimately really who needs to be made really famous. We spend all of our time trying to make all kinds of people famous or trying to even be famous ourselves. And it's too much because we've believed the lies that the world has put out there, the labels that the world has put out there on us. But you see, Romans 12, 2 tells us this. It says that we're not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed out of that, to be renewed, to be enlightened, to have understanding that the world doesn't have. Be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is our mind renewed? It's renewed by God's word and his truth. It's renewed not by me trying to find where God agrees with me, but by me stepping into this word and recognizing how in contradiction to me this is and beginning to agree with God and what he says about who we are and what life is about. Verse 16 says this, though, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
Again, the problem with the church, one of the big problems within the church is that we've allowed the culture to disciple us instead of discipling the culture around us. This is a big struggle that we have. We've, we've conformed ourselves to the world, but Jesus is telling us right here, they're not of the world. They're not of the world. They've, they've been pulled out of the world. You've been taken to a new place. You've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. If you're a Christian, this is who you are. You have a new identity. You have a new purpose in life. You have, you have things that are bigger and greater to live for than what the world has to offer. Then verse 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Make them holy in the truth. You see, the problem with human beings is this. You were created in the image of God. Okay, that's the truth. But here's another truth. We talk about that a lot. But you're more so, the natural man is more so in the, created in the image of Adam. The, the, the sin that has come into the world has marred the reality of our identity and who we are. So yes, you're created in the image of God, but you see, God wants to sanctify us. What he's trying to do is to take and work the image of Adam out of us to reduce the image of Adam and to, to magnify the image of Christ that we're meant to look like. It's, it's, it's sometimes he allows the difficulties in the life, stuff in our in our lives as, as, as kind of a flame, it becomes a heat, kind of one of those Bunsen burners in the lab that, that burns, that, that takes, and it begins to purify us. And it takes the dross, and it brings the dross off to the, up to the top, and that's that image of Adam being taken away from us, that, that sinful nature that was on us. And, and we become more and more uh, conformed to the image of Christ. See, our lives are really supposed to look like Jesus. Do the people around you know and recognize that something is different about you? That you live in a manner that's different enough from this world to set you apart so that people recognize and see that something is different about you, that God is at work in you and, and that you're putting on display the glory of who God is? Or do people around you sometimes say, why would they do that? Why would they do this or that? You know, the world doesn't get on so many levels, why Christians do the things that we do, right? It's because we're kind of crazy, but we're crazy in a good way, right? Crazy according to the world, but makes perfect sense in God's plan. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see, from the very beginning, Genesis 1, the idea was that we would take the creation, the glory of God, the grandeur of God, the power of God, and that we would co-labor with him to further humankind. That we would take the earth and what was given and we would make more out of it. That God put us in as gardeners, that we would plant and, and we would move in unison with him and we would be co-creators and we would take the earth that he gave us and the people that were on it and we would make more of it. That we wouldn't just join in with it and, 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 and become kind of uh, married to it that we would recognize that we were set apart, that we were made for greater purposes, and, and that in this, now in this fall, in this broken place, that we're called still to be world changers. We're, we're called to be a people who are taking the creation around us and making it better. 
recognizing that there's a high calling on this, that, 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 the, that the earth and even the care of the earth is something that was entrusted to Christians. We should be all about that. It's God's word that sanctifies us. It's God's word that challenges us on who we are and how we're living and what we're doing and then brings us back into alignment with what God's will is and his purposes for us. It's how we're sanctified. Verse 19, and for their sake I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified in truth. It certainly wasn't that Jesus was in need of, of being sanctified or made holy. He, he is holy. He was holy at that time. But, but he sanctified or he, he gave himself over to the cross. He subjected himself as the creator of all things to his creation so that he might redeem sinful humanity, so that he might give us a new way, so that, so that we might... Um, so that we might be sanctified in that truth, so that we might have forgiveness so that we could be in the presence of a holy and perfect God. It's the only way that we're gonna be sanctified is to get in the presence of God. And the only way that it's possible to be in the presence of God is through the cross and, and, and having Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Apart from that, we're lost. Verse 20, I did not ask for these. Now, it's, now we're talking to us. Here we go. I did not ask for these only. He's moving out of talking to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You see, again, we're supposed to be a people who continue to cultivate, continue to plant seeds, continue to move this thing forward so that there are more coming and there are more coming and there are more coming. Your job and my job is to make sure that as many are coming with us as is possible. As many will come, that, that we're supposed to be joining with God in this. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, this is the, this is the, 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 the mission of the church is to be in unity. And, and I'm going to hold this too. Unity doesn't mean that we all agree. It, it doesn't. Having unity doesn't mean we agree. It means that we have something though that we can agree on that's bigger than our arguments, right? Having unity in your marriage doesn't mean that you always agree. It means that your marriage is more important than the side issues and the arguments that come, up, come along. And the day that the arguments and the side issues are bigger than your marriage, your marriage is in trouble. But you see, when we're a people who recognize that there's something greater, then we can begin to have unity. You see, the unity that we're talking about is found in the first five verses of this prayer, and without it, there is no unity. The first five verses lay out that they would know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's the gospel, and that's the place where we have unity with so many of the churches, not all the churches in town, though. We are not unified with all of the churches on, in, in town because not all of the churches believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And, and, but, but those who, who do, we can have unity in them, with them even though we can further the kingdom together, we can work together even though we may not agree on some doctrinal issues. But God has called us not here to agree theologically perfectly with one another, but to have unity to recognize that the cross 
And the message of the cross is bigger than some of our side arguments can be. The problem with the church and what the enemy has done is that the enemy has come in and he's, he, he's caused the church to begin to build walls, right? And to live within those walls. And instead of God's people corporately pursuing his kingdom, we become churches that are building our own kingdom. Checking, you know, how much attendance and how much money and all of these different things and using all of those things as all of the guideposts to whether we're successful or not. We need to be using the furtherance of God's kingdom as the guidepost to whether we're doing well or not, not, not those other markers. Verse 22. Oh, and I'm going to just hold to that that unity is so crucial that it's, Jesus says that it's through that unity that they will believe. It's that, it's that important. It's that intrinsic to, to, to the world. And, and, and we can obviously see that because a lot of Christianity doesn't have that kind of unity or doesn't practice that kind of unity, we see, too, just a falling in our culture around us all of the time. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. We are given glory so that we might glorify him. You see, this is how the Godhead works. And it, this is a crazy mystery, but you've been pulled. If you're in Christ, you've been pulled into the Godhead. You're now part of that. You're in Christ, and Christ is in you, and he's in the Father, and the Father is in him, and the Spirit is in you, and the Spirit is... And, and it's just this, it's this cooperative, crazy thing to where there's this, there's this sharing of glory and love and honor and mission. And we've been pulled into that through Christ. You are his glory here on earth, and your job is to make him famous to the world around you. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This idea of unity, this idea, again, is this picture that, that the world will know through, through that. But, but the world, right, one of the biggest problems to the furtherance of, of Christianity is Christians and our arguing and, and, and lifestyles that, that basically, lips that profess him and lifestyles that deny him. And so people in the world go, well, it doesn't seem to be working for you guys very well. Why would we want anything to do with it? So God is, God is calling us into this to, to recognize the reality of, of who we are and, and where we sit and what he's calling us to. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world, that they may be with me. Remember, these are the very words that Jesus said about his disciples. You see, he didn't say this so that, uh, so that they can go out and do just a, a ton of work and, and, and just be slaves for me and do all of these things. And go, No, he said, just so they might be with me. And you see, when we spend time with Jesus, when we recognize that this is where we are, this is who we are, this is what he's done, this is his glory that he shared this with us, then, then basically we begin to start to get a right understanding of, of who we are and why we're here 
And, and when that starts to happen, we start to recognize, and then there's an outflow out of our lives that starts to happen from there. You see, sometimes we just set ourselves up to just go like, well, man, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I need to just go out to do a, a, a lot of good things. That's what I need to do. God is not calling you to go out and do a bunch of good things. He's calling you to be in this, to be unified with him, to seek his face, to, to agree with him, to allow him to sanctify you. And then out of that comes everything. There's then an outflow out of our lives that isn't us. It's Christ living in us and through us. And that's the place where real change happens. That's the place where real ministry begins to happen. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. It doesn't matter who else knows. Jesus knows. And it doesn't matter what else anybody says about you, even what you say about you. What matters is what God has said about you. Amen. Amen. Verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see, it's just this, this picture of, of, I just want you here with me. That's what God wants from us. It's in your name. And again, this idea of a name, it has to do with identity. It comes, has to do with, with who God is. See, God has a number of names in the Bible. And those names begin to tell us, they begin to reflect the character and the nature and the attributes of God. He's called El Roi, the God who sees. Maybe that's who you need today. Maybe you need El Roi, the God who sees and understands that, that the, the things that you're going through in your life, maybe on the inside, they're not unseen. There's a God, El Roi, who sees and knows what's going on in your life right now. El Elyon, he's the most high God that there is nothing bigger or greater than him. Maybe that's who you need to show up today is, 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 is a recognition of that, that, that like some of these other things that maybe we've placed up here, that there's nothing, there's nothing greater than him. That he is El Elyon, that he is the most high God. Maybe you need El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the God who is able, who will show up and who has all power and all strength and all glory, the creator of everything. Maybe you need Jehovah Jireh today, the God who provides. Maybe you're struggling today and maybe financially or, or maybe you have other provision that you need. Maybe just understanding that there is a God, Jehovah Jireh, who provides for his people. Emmanuel, God with us, that you're never alone. That you've never been alone. You may have felt alone, but you've never been alone. Emmanuel, he's the God who is with us. He's the wonderful counselor. Maybe you need somebody to help you in your struggles, maybe in your parenting, maybe in your marriage, maybe just in life in general. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a great physician. Maybe you have health needs. Maybe you have health struggles. He's the great physician, and he's able. And one day, regardless of any sickness or disease that will ever strike any of us here, his promise is this, is to restore us perfectly beyond what any doctor could ever do, to defeat death, that he has defeated death on our behalf, and that one day every prayer for healing that goes up for a believer will be answered perfectly and beyond what we can ever even think or imagine. He's the everlasting father. Maybe you just need a dad. 
one who will never leave you or forsake you. And he's the Prince of Peace. And certainly in the world that we live in today, we could use the Prince of Peace, couldn't we? He's done this, that love might live in us. And that out of that, that we might glorify him. You see, basically this is all about your identity. It's about who you are. It's really about the identity that you've sought to have your whole life. You see, our identity, it shapes the way that we feel. It shapes how we interact with the world around us. It determines the place within our communities that we'll take. And it ultimately shapes our values and our beliefs. Our identity, it's shaped by our past. It's affecting our present. And it's setting a trajectory for our future. It's influenced by the culture around us, and it creates the culture that we live in. And the culture around you wants to impose identity on you. It wants to put a label on you. And it puts labels on people all the time. And the culture wants to say this. It wants to say, well, you are your job, or you are your status, or you are your home, or you are your car, you are your religion. You are your sexuality. You are your kid's success. You are your perfectionism. You are your rage. You are your spouse. You are your parents. You are your hobbies. You are your accomplishments. You are your finances. You are your past. Or you are your sin. And God says you are none of those things. Those things do not identify a child of God. You see, there's a battle for your identity in the world around us. There's a battle that's ongoing for your identity, and the enemy wants to distort the image of God that is within you and me. What he does is is, it's kind of like you go into a house of mirrors, and you begin to look in these mirrors, and they're all distorted. And they begin to, 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 to bring out, a, they, they switch the, the image and they contort things and they, 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 they give an unrealistic view of the reality of who you are and who you've been made to be. This is what the enemy does. You see, you were created to walk with God and to give him glory. The glory that he has given you, you're to give him back. How do we give glory to God? Well, for one thing, we pray. When we pray, we give glory and we give assent to the fact that we believe that there is a God out there who hears and listens, who responds to our prayer. That it's not just about the systems of the world or, or, or trusting in the things of this world to always fix it. It's, it's, it's going outside of the systems of this world. We give glory to God when we pray. The things that come out of your mouth Either give glory to God or they mar his image. Now, you can't ever really mar God's image, obviously, but to others, to the world around us, we do. So what comes out of our mouth, the things that we speak of is an opportunity to continually give glory to God. I always love it when when a really great athlete gives glory to God because, you see, it's the only thing that we can do because it's all his. It all comes from him. It all originates from him. So I don't care how smart you are, how good you are at something, 
um, how talented you are. It doesn't matter. Everything that has ever come to you was a gift. Now, are you going to treat it as a gift or are you going to treat it as gain? Are you going to use it for his glory or are you going to take a selfish perspective with it and use it for your own end? And if we do that, our own end will come to an end. It truly will. But if we give it to his glory, you see, then it has eternal benefits. It has things that will continue to go on. The things that we do, your actions, and actions speak a lot louder than words. The things that we do give glory to God. And when we make the world really freak out about like, why do you guys do that? That's when you really know you're giving glory to God. They're like, why would you do that? How come? I can remember before I was a believer, and I would hear about like, like people who actually gave 10% of their income to the church. And I was like, that is, why would they do that? It threw me back. I was like, that's like a really nice truck. Like I could buy a really nice truck with that. Why would you do that? That makes no sense. but it gives God glory. It challenges people with, with that thing. And, and, you know, and, then, and then people will even mock that. They'll mock that people actually do that. They'll mock that people are generous with their money and believe that, that God has plans and purposes outside of himself and that we're to be a people who make this place better. And sometimes we do that by giving to other to, to organizations, to things, to churches, to whatever that looks like. To, to further God's kingdom. See, you were created to walk with God. You were never created to walk independently and separate from God. You were created to walk in harmony and unison with him. This is the picture before, in the, before the fall. It's the picture of us walking in harmony with our creator. The restoration of Eden at the end of the Bible looks like that again. But we're in the middle here. But as God's people, you have the ability to be walking with God. You were created to do this. You were created to give him the glory he's given you. You're invited into a relationship with the Godhead. And the only way to put off our false identity is to see something more beautiful. The only way to get through the things of this world and the, the traps of this world is to recognize that there's something greater, that there's something that's more beautiful out there. See, it's not just our world here. This goes out into the whole of the universe. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork Day to day, he pours out speech, and uh, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. These are images from the Hubble Space Telescope, and it's just crazy. It's just more pictures of of the glory of God and the grandeur of who God is. And then a final reminder to us that Colossians 1.27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is our hope. It's Christ in us, 
that makes him famous. It's, it's that which gives him glory. It's when his people trust and believe and obey and walk with him that we have and put on display the hope of glory that we have. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces, not covered up, unveiled, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being transformed. We're being sanctified. We're being pulled more and more into him, his image, again, diminishing the image of Adam in us and, and exalting and glorifying the image of Christ that is in us. Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory, the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We were created for beautiful things. We were created to, to make a difference in this world, to take the earth and the world and the life that, was, that we were born into and to somehow work with God to make it better. But we need God to tell us who we are. We need him to identify us. And you need to quit listening to the voice in your own head that tells you who you are. You need to quit listening to words that were maybe spoke over you by somebody who was supposed to love you and support you and encourage you who maybe didn't. You need to quit listening to the voice of the culture around you that wants to label you and put you in a, in just, a uh, just to kind of throw you in, into a heap of what the rest of the world is, is, is believing and identifying and believe and know and understand that God says things about you like you are a new creation, that the old is gone and that the new has come, that you are wholly blameless and beyond reproach. You see, your identity has everything to do with what you will allow into your life. If you believe yourself to be less than these things, you will allow and you will allow yourself to be subjected to things that God just never intended, nor did he want or desire for us. But when we understand who this God is and we begin to see his glory and then we begin to recognize that we're part of that glory here on earth. It's then that we truly can begin to change because we know truly who we are. St. Augustine said, we were created by him and our hearts are restless until they find their home in him. So who are you? More importantly, whose are you? Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this prayer. We thank you that you've desired that, that we would be with you, that, that you've called us into relationship to yourself, that God, that, you, that you've known us for all eternity past. You've, you've, we've existed in your mind always, and you knew the day, and you know the days that we'll walk, and Lord, we just want to ask that we would glorify you in all that we do. And Lord, in the areas of our lives where we believe the, the, the lie, where we've fallen into the deception where we've walked into that house of mirrors that the enemy has and we've, we've seen that image distorted and we've believed that that was the truth. Lord, help us to, to be sanctified in your word and in your truth, to believe what you say about us, Lord, and then help us to live out of that place, to know the goodness of who you are and to, to express and to tell others the goodness of who you are. 
May we be so sold out that the world thinks we're absolutely nuts. May we look different, Lord. May we be a peculiar people to the world around us. May we not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but may we allow your word to change us, to renew our minds, to enlighten us, that we might be a light to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.